sport to ever win the World Championship and have a record of 107, 108. Who cares? There's zero on the other side. We've got a new champion. Welcome to Goldberg, the road to 173 and 0. I am your host and God, Rich Ladder, and this is the show where we're going back through Goldberg Street, match by match, or at least everyone on video that I can find. We're talking about his opponents, Bill's evolution throughout, the commentary, how magical and fun Goldberg was from September 1997 to December 1998. That's right, we're talking about the jackhammers, the spears, the crowd, the aura. Bill Goddamn Goldberg walking through smoke and blowing it through his nose. From Hugh Morris to Hollywood Hogan, Jerry Flynn to Kevin Nash, the world title in under a year to the stun gun that made it all disappear. This is Goldberg, the road to 173 and 0. Welcome to episode one of Goldberg, the road to 173 and 0. I am your host, Rich Latta, and this is a show I am so excited to do. Uh, Not just a show, it is more than just a show, it is a series. It is not just my series, it is your series. Um, So this first episode will be on uh, the Social Suplex Podcast Network, uh, free of charge, um... You know, just to give everyone a taste of what we're planning to do with the Patreon page here for One Nation Radio. Uh, you know, lots of special series, random shows that come out of nowhere. And, you know, this is a way for you guys to, like, thank us, you know, if, if you so choose to. Uh, we would never just, you know, solicit your money. So we plan to earn every cent um, of this show. Uh, so this is a tier two episode. So once you jump to the $5 level, you will have access to Goldberg, the road to 173 and oh, we're going to be going through it uh, from September 1997 through December 1998. Growing up, I was just always a huge fan of Goldberg. My stepbrothers, Justin and Jamie, um, we always played as Goldberg in WCW NWO Revenge. And it was like whoever had Goldberg uh, was going to, you know, use the spear until they could use the jackhammer, essentially. So um, in the other night, I would say, like, what kind of, you know, struck the inspiration for this, um, I was like, I wonder if someone has a playlist of all the matches I can watch. I was like, I, you know, I thought it couldn't be that long because a lot of these matches are squash matches. But um, as I went through uh, watching the first couple ones, it was like, it just struck me like, wow, this feels like watching that Mike Tyson reel that used to come on ESPN classic when they were between programs, um, the, like the last 15 minutes of an hour where they would throw that on so they can bridge to the next segment. But you would see like 10 knockouts in 15 minutes. That's what it felt like watching Goldberg. So I thought it would be interesting to chronicle, um, you know, something that I don't know if a lot of people have ever looked at because in real time it was happening. You knew the guy was special, but you did not know it from day one. So we're going through the growing pains where I I saw them having Goldberg working heel at a certain point uh, on little like B shows. So we're going to do a whole, 
whole bunch of that. Um, so I guess we just got to start like at the beginning. Um, and I'm going to let you guys know how these shows are going to uh, be laid out. I'm going to be giving you the match, uh, the date. Uh, we're going to run down the opponent a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about anything funny that I heard on commentary. I'll give you my analysis on Goldberg and just random shit, essentially, that <laughs> um, you know I, I noticed in the matches and all that. So where did it begin for Goldberg? Not unsurprisingly, it began on the gridiron. Um, he got a scholarship uh, to play for the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, he was a D-tackle, and he was eventually taken by the Los Angeles Rams in the 11th round, back when they had all those rounds, uh, in the 1990 NFL Draft. Uh, he was born uh, in 1966, so you can do the math on you know how old he was and all that back then. He eventually found his way to the Atlanta Falcons, and he was in the CFL at one point, and he found his way onto the Carolina Panthers, but never played a game with the team. And he was the first player to have been cut. Uh, and his career essentially ended when he tore his lower abdomen off of his pelvis, which is crazy. Like looking at the athlete that he was after the injury, imagine what he was before the injury. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at his, um, you know, background and all that. So one thing Goldberg said about playing in the NFL, he called it a mixed emotional experience because despite, you know, playing in the NFL, he did not obtain the level of achievement that he desired. Uh, that would not be the case in professional wrestling as he would be on top of the world in just under a year. Uh, and it's really one of the great stories of how to get a star over from scratch not to do like you know just foolishness to get him over just let him beat people and be awesome now before the streak began a lot of people don't know that Goldberg was actually doing matches for WCW um it, it, they didn't just pluck him out of the power plant and you know the the narrative goes you know they knew nothing about this guy and all that but um this guy had been wrestling dark matches uh, as early as June of 1997. Uh, he ended up having six in total. His first one, uh, he defeated uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, if you guys remember him. Um, and that was uh, June 23rd, 1997. He would go on to face Buddy Landell. Yes, that Buddy Landell, um, <laughs> the wannabe Ric Flair. Uh, you know, a night later in a WCW Saturday night taping, uh, he faced Hugh Morris, the man that would start the actual streak next and defeat him in a dark match in Orlando, Florida. After that, uh, Goldberg took on a guy named Chip Minton that I've never heard of uh, in a house show in Cincinnati, um, July uh, 17th of 1997. And then Goldberg, in his final victory in the dark matches, took on a guy named John Betcha, like you bet your ass. Um, <laughs> so it's spelled just the same way. So I don't, I don't know who gave this guy that wrestling name. But one interesting thing was... Goldberg actually lost a dark match, which I had no clue about until I started doing research on this. He wrestled a guy named Chad Fortune, who was out of the business by the year 2000. Um, a week, uh, or actually a couple days after that uh, John Betcha match, and Chad Fortune defeated Bill Goldberg. Now, 
Chad Fortune. There's like next to no info uh, on this guy on the internet. Uh, they said that he was 6'5 and 240. So I'm going to have to do a little bit of research, find what he looks like. Maybe I'll post a picture of Chad Fortune on the Patreon page so you guys can see what he looks like. Uh, but he was trained at the WCW Power Plant. He often wrestled as a tag team wrestler as well. Uh, he wrestled for six total years. But yes, he was the last man to defeat Goldberg until Kevin Nash in 1998. Of course, this doesn't you know count or anything, but I just thought it would be interesting for you guys to know that. But they probably took, uh, this is an old WCW trick and WWE's used this. From there, they yanked him off the road and essentially repackaged him. Uh, they've famously, uh, I heard a story about how they once did this to the big boss man uh, when Dusty Rhodes knew he had something in this guy and when it was the NWA. They pulled him off the road and repackaged him essentially as a top star. And same thing happened for Goldberg here. He came back two months later to face Hugh Morris. Now, it's important to mention that this was not the Goldberg that you saw in WWE in 2003 or even the Goldberg that came back and was good, uh, you know, as a 50-year-old and got really over as a babyface but was kind of in the way being a part-timer. This was a new guy. No family name in the business. No being brought in on top. They literally started this dude from the bottom. So the first match was against Hugh Morris. So Hugh Morris, uh, this is actually uh, the guy more known nowadays as Bill DeMott. Uh, you know, he had to deal with the improper training in NXT, all the hazing horror stories back then uh, in Deep South Wrestling um, and all that. And But at this time in WCW, he was in the Dungeon of Doom for a period, and he was known as a very kind of agile big guy. And the thing that made him special was his moonsault that he called No Laughing Matter because his name was humorous so um yeah someone thought that would get over big but apparently not um but yeah like i remember watching uh hugh morris back in the day and he always did a really good moonsault it beat everyone with it so um most goldberg fans have seen this match on dvds so uh when we started the match goldberg was already in the ring and this was like the height of wcw kind of uh and there's this guy that's just front row he's holding up a sign that has raw and an up and down line and it basically said really awful wrestling so looking at the end of last year maybe he was a time traveler or something i don't know but uh, Bill had his hands on his waist. Uh, he didn't get an entrance or anything. He was just a dude standing in the ring, uh, and he was stone-faced. So Tony Schiavone uh, alluded to Hugh Morris's wins and loss record immediately before introducing Bill Goldberg to the world. So that's always something kind of to think about. Uh, they basically said that they knew absolutely nothing about Goldberg, and even Mike Tanay, who knows everything and every move, every story, every piece of background information about a guy, the news dude, had no idea where they found this guy and uh larry zabisco joked that uh they should just fire today and this is like the first time today didn't ever know anything so um goldberg started to match uh, with a couple stiff forearms and morris looked like he saw a ghost when he saw how hard that dude hit uh they traded hammer locks and then like this crazy thing happens goldberg rolls hugh morris up and slaps him in a knee bar and since wrestling fans in 1997 they had no idea what they were watching at the time that it just was like, oh, what is this? Like, there was, like, no reaction or anything. But to the modern eye, this would have been much more impressive. Um, so the crowd popped from there uh, for Morris, uh, hit a little comeback, hit a drop kick. Uh, he got Irish whipped into the corner, ran up the, the uh, ropes, and hit a middle drop kick off the middle rope. And uh, then, his, you know, he 
basically had Goldberg in position for the moonsault, which finishes folks off on the regular, but Goldberg kicked out at two. The commentary was amazed. Crowd lost it. Everyone popped when he hit the move and was even more shocked when Goldberg kicked out. Remember, people did not kick out of no laughing matter. So from there, Goldberg reversed an Irish whip. He caught a uh, big elbow that dropped him, but Goldberg no-selled it like a fucking boss. He stood up and then he did a backflip for no reason but to show um, that he was a other than to show that he was a freak athlete and then he power slams uh Hugh Morris scoop slams him and then Zabisco was like called him pretty agile for a big Goldberg after that picked him up for the jackhammer with no problem keep in mind Hugh Morris is well over 300 pounds or how they build him as had him up there for you know two maybe maybe 10 seconds maybe and hit him with a jackhammer finished him and you know the first call on his first victory was out of obscurity bill goldberg comes to nitro and pulls an upset goldberg looked dead in the camera and said that's one that's how we started the streak from there gene oakland tried to interview goldberg and goldberg walked off um my analysis here goldberg looked like a mega prospect he was insanely athletic, and he might just bust your head, too, because he hits hard. And then he did this futuristic shit that I don't know if it resonated with 1998 audiences, but this showed that Goldberg had a sense of kind of where things were headed with the MMA influence. And, of course, he always had the fighting gloves on and all that. But from there, um, his next match was against The Barbarian the following week on Monday Nitro. So now The Barbarian... Uh, he was a longtime tag team wrestler in WWF as, with the faces of fear and the powers of pain. He was known as like one of the toughest wrestlers in the sport at the time. Like, you don't fuck with Barb, as they used to say. Goldberg, once again, no entrance. Mike Tanay, however, did come back with all the information about Goldberg, ran down his football career and all his accomplishments, and everyone seemed to be impressed with Tanay. Now, this one was uh, really back and forth. Uh, Barbarian got to attempt a couple pins and get, get some heat on Goldberg until, you know, his chops had no effect. Uh, Bob, Barb, excuse me, not Bob. Um, he then power slammed Goldberg, and Goldberg hit a backdrop and a big knee drop after that, uh, which I always joke, every knee drop is the V-trigger, so, <laughs> uh, or any knee strike at all, no matter where it is. Uh, after that, they went to a jackhammer finish out of nowhere, so uh, Shabani was like, he beat the Barbarian, and it was shocked but it was casual the way he said it this match wasn't really good or entertaining um you know barbarian looked like he was here to take one or two bumps and one of them was the finish this was more just about getting goldberg in with a bigger guy uh, uh name wise than hugh morris so gene once again went for the interview this time and he was prepared he held goldberg's picture up like it was a wanted poster and he was the feds and asked goldberg why he was trying to be a mystery man goldberg responded by shoving the camera out the way and basically telling gene oakland to go to hell and walking off so up next was a guy named roadblock yes like a literal roadblock and this was wcw saturday night one of my favorite shows i used to watch as a kid uh, i always popped for the entrance area when it opened up and they all walked through the smoke uh roadblock was out first and he was carrying a literal fucking roadblock to the ring so you cannot say that this guy was not committed to the gimmick um this one was the first entrance that goldberg got in the debut of his iconic wcw theme music uh wcw theme music is ripped on a lot for some of the generic songs but there are a couple that are undeniable all-time classics. Like, I can just think of the Booker T uh, music, the NWO music, uh, Goldberg's music. 
Rey Mysterio's music. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if it quite fit him, but he was the man of mystery. Uh, I did like uh, Eddie Guerrero's music as well. So, um, yeah, but this was the first time Dusty Rhodes got to talk about Goldberg and see him. He had heard about the man, but we're going to go to Dusty's call here. Yeah, I, you know, every, every week and every tape that I've been able to look at him and take a hardcore look at, at uh, Goldberg is that he so much athletic ability, but he's got a meanness in him. He's got a look about him that tells me there's something special about this young guy. We're going to find out here about guarantee a roadblock on some of his eyes right here on Saturday night. You can look at this physique, and as you see, some Georgia Bulldog fans here, the former Bulldog, all SEC, and a member of the Atlanta Falcons. But this ain't football. Well, How many times have I heard the legendary Larry Zabisco say that? But this ain't football. This it, ain't football. Well, it ain't. It's one-on-one -on -one competition between two men with no armor on trying to beat the other, Tony. It's always good to hear the voice of the American dream, Dusty Rose. Dusty was immediately putting this man over because he saw the future. He saw the money. Um, from there, uh, Roblox started the match. He got a fast start, uh, a couple chops, uh, went for a clothesline that ended up having no effect because Goldberg is a cyborg, of course. Uh, Goldberg yelled dead in his face, is that all you got? And now this here is the first what the fuck moment that i've had in this series so goldberg rolls uh roadblock up kind of like hugh morris but instead of having the one leg knee bar um that this guy was doing before he lays perpendicular to roadblock and he locked both of roadblock's left and right leg in a hold at once so his arms were wrapped around uh roadblock's right leg and his legs were wrapped around his left leg so goldberg or excuse me, Roblox had like nowhere to go. I don't know what the move was that he was going for. Um, I showed this to my boy Josh on keeping a strong style and who's kind of an MMA aficionado and he was hollering with laughter. Um, so after that, uh, they ended up getting free. Uh, Roblox got to the ropes. He tried to attack Goldberg, but he caught a shoulder block, uh, flying shoulder block, that is. He recovered, and he threw Goldberg in the opposite corner. When Goldberg staggered out, Roblox hit him with a nice belly-to-belly -belly suplex. It kind of looked like the Bailey version, not the overhead deal, because, I don't know, throwing Goldberg over your head doesn't seem like the funnest thing to do. Mind you, Roblox was a big motherfucker. Like, he was like... 400 pounds and he looked to be like at least like six four six five so uh keep that in mind here uh so goldberg did kick out at two but um roblox you know uh irish whip goldberg into the ropes but instead of coming off the ropes goldberg hits an owen hart style spinning wheel kick that dropped this dude immediately and from there dusty this man gets on commentary and says, this man showed us nice wrestling moves. He showed us the Oriental arts, whatever those are. And he said that was a nice spin wheel, and he's showing his meanness now. And I'm telling you, this is a talented man. So Dusty already knew what it was. Uh, one question, what the fuck are Oriental arts? Can anyone tell me? I can only assume that it was banned by Turner, but by the end of the match, Dusty kind of says it again, but he says martial arts in the recap, so I guess Dusty was just wilding out. From there, uh, Goldberg picked him up, jackhammer, one, two, three. Seek this match out if you want to see someone get a little bit of offense on Goldberg and then see Goldberg just maul this fucker after that and pick him up. And uh, the next match 
is a match against Scotty Riggs. Now, Scotty Riggs was a tag team partner of Buff Bagwell uh, of NWO fame. But before Buff was in the NWO, uh, he teamed with this guy, Scotty Riggs. And they had a tag team called the American Males. And they had a really catchy theme song. And they were a white meat babyface team. They spread their arms out uh, like they were waiting for rain to come and clapped over their heads. And it was just this, you know, fun thing. Uh, they kind of look like male gigolos, which is kind of funny for what Buff Bagwell's uh, post-wrestling career was. Riggs later was a member of Goldberg's, or excuse me, of Raven's flock, and they had to flock at ringside, so maybe this was just prior to his recruitment. Uh, Saturn was also out there, as well as another guy I didn't recognize, but he, Riggs wasn't a big guy. He was just another dude for Goldberg to beat here, so this was Goldberg's first entrance with music on Nitro, so there was a small rumble during the entrance, not a huge pop, but it felt like it was on the way. So Goldberg started this match, and he was manhandling Riggs right away before Riggs hit a couple strikes. They then ran the ropes a few times, uh, ducking clotheslines and all that, and it finally happened. The first spear that Goldberg ever did, and it was to Scotty Riggs, and he clobbered this fucking guy with it. Uh, Riggs, early, you know, early on, the first couple spears that Goldberg does, like after this, they're not so clean because I don't know if they, you know, didn't really want to take the back bump uh, that was required for this, but Riggs was uh, up to the challenge, and he got laid the fuck out so uh Riggs you know just got got mauled by this guy and you know after that Goldberg did this weird thing that I had no memory of where he would jump in a ground and pound position right after and he was bouncing Riggs's head off the um you know the ring like it was a basketball he did it like three times after that so a recipe for cte as far as i'm concerned um also he did this other thing in other matches where he would hit the spear then essentially crawl up the opponent's body and then grind his forearm on their face it's like imagine if brock lesnar uh for example hit a f5 and then he started doing an elbow drop to someone right after it's like that's the big move. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't do anything else. Uh, you know, I remember uh, always watching the uh, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman. Basically, what would happen was Ali hit him with the knockout punch. And then if you guys remember, he holds the arm because he can hit him again on the way down. But it was just so perfect. So it was jarring to see uh, Goldberg do that. So. Um, he did, uh, basically, you know, uh, Shivani was talking about Goldberg's, uh, you know, reputation. He was getting around already. He was intimidating wrestlers and the word is traveling and, uh, scaring these guys. So Riggs then hit, uh, three drop kicks, uh, that staggered Goldberg and he tried like a, uh, you know, a dive to the outside, but he got caught by Goldberg. And then Goldberg fucking drops this guy on the guardrail on his abdomen. He doesn't let that guy down gently or anything. This will look like it hurt for real, for real. Um, then the funny thing happened uh, in this match. Mike Tanay pulls out this absurd lie. Like just had to be a lie about judo. Gene LaBelle personally contacting WCW offering to train Goldberg because he saw potential in him. I don't know how true that is. If anybody, you know, is listening to this and can, can confirm that, please let me know. But it sounded like bullshit. Um, they were putting this guy over super hard on commentary. So they rolled this man, or excuse me, Goldberg rolled Riggs back in, hit him with a jackhammer. They still haven't named the move yet. It was a one, two, three, and Goldberg is already a magnetic presence. Uh, and his intensity had him over 
um, to an extent already in his fourth match. Um, they were pushing him as undefeated in the wrap-up. You know, in WCW, they always showed the moves uh, that basically uh, the the moves they wanted you to realize made this guy a star. They showed you all those, and then they would show the entrance uh, of the guy so you remember what he looked like when he came out there. Um, they pushed him as a future star and said, the future is now. The next match on the road to 173 was against Wrath. Now, Wrath uh, is a guy, if you've only watched WWF, you might recognize him as Adam Bomb. At this point, Goldberg is 4-0 and looking to get his fifth victory um, uh, over Wrath. Now, Wrath, he had a gimmick in WCW where it was really cool. Um, him and Mortis, who was later known as Canyon and for some reason is one of my irrational favorite wrestlers. Uh, if you've never seen Canyon versus Saturn at Great American Bash 1998, go check that out and just look at the innovative offense that uh, Canyon used to just break out. Their gimmick was they were essentially pit fighters and a lot of these things, uh, you know, the ideas around their gimmicks came from Mortal Kombat. So both him and Wrath would show up dressed like Shao Kahn. Now, this isn't really much of a match, but this is entertaining as hell. Wrath, for some reason, he gets this big extravagant entrance where they turn the lights down and Wrath comes out dressed in this full gimmick outfit and he looks like Shao Kahn, as I mentioned. Um, he gets in the ring. And he um, poses on a turnbuckle. Then he walks to the other one. And for some reason, I don't know why, Charles Robinson starts the match while Wrath is still up in the corner. Now, <laughs> mind you, the bell is already rang. As soon as he hops down from the corner, he gets a spear immediately. And unlike the Scotty Riggs one, this one wasn't clean. It was like a double leg tackle that uh, he wasn't quite ready for, didn't want to, you know, bump for, but it still looked crazy. The crowd immediately lost it, and Goldberg went right to the jackhammer, and Mike Tanay finally named the move the jackhammer in his fifth match. This match lasted a whole 19 seconds. Wrath uh, was still wearing the get up as the match got started, and the crowd is already responding to Goldberg. You know, um, and while he walked up the aisle, Goldberg looked dead in the camera and yelled, Who's next? Which would obviously be his famous catchphrase. Um, and this was the first time he did it. Then all of a sudden, Steve Mongo McMichael walked up on Goldberg and they went face to face. It was literally, fuck that shit, here comes Mongo. Um, now Mongo, he wasn't the most graceful wrestler in the world, uh, to put it lightly. Flat out, the man was terrible, but he looked tough and, you know, he had a name from pro football and, you know, they essentially built it as one tough guy against the other. So five matches in, they were setting up uh, the Goldberg, Mongo McMichael program, which would culminate at that year's Starcade. So um, this was, you know, Goldberg's first taste of an angle, having them go face-to-face -face with a tough guy with a name. Now, Mongo had done commentary uh, for Nitro in 1995 and had recently transitioned um, to being in the Four Horsemen and becoming a wrestler. Uh, they, For some reason, they let that inexperienced dude use the Tombstone Pile Driver as a finish, which is insane. So, yeah, it's going to be Steve Mongo McMichael versus Bill Goldberg for Goldberg's first feud. Uh, this is either going to be absolutely terrible or it's going to be just unintentionally hilarious in every single way possible. 
So that's going to be the last match that we look at as far as reviews for this first episode of the Road to 173-0. So we went through five matches. I'm going to introduce something called the fun scale here. Now, watching Goldberg matches, you're not really going to be looking for star ratings in a sense. This is all about ranking the fun. So we're going to rank um, all the matches uh, on, you know, a one to 10 scale. I gave them each a number. Um, so the number five, the, the least enjoyable match uh, was the Barbarian match. It was kind of boring. Uh, they were just plodding around for a little bit. Barbarian wasn't really looking to take many bumps. And, you know, Goldberg didn't use the spear or anything. So that one came in last. I gave that one a four. Um, at number four, the Scotty Riggs match uh, was next. This was the one where Goldberg hit the first spear that was just epic looking, and he threw Scotty Riggs around because Riggs was way smaller than him. Uh, at number three, I have the his debut match against Hugh Morris, where he kicked out of the No Laughing Matter. Uh, this is like the famous one that's on the DVDs and all that. I gave that one a six as well uh, as the Scotty Riggs match. Number two, I have the match with Rose block um kind of an enjoyable little tv match there and it was just uh two big motherfuckers they found someone that's actually like had goldberg just completely outgunned in the size department and goldberg lifted the dude up and this would be like a hallmark of goldberg uh he was lifting big big guys above his head and bringing them down with the force that you know is almost unmatchable um with the jackhammer but and I gave that one a seven, but number one, and it was the shortest match. It was just you couldn't believe it when when you actually watched this. Uh, the fact that uh, the guy Wrath was just standing on the top rope, the fact that he would just turn his back to Goldberg, the fact that Goldberg got him out of there in 19 seconds. Oh man, it was great. Uh, so the Wrath match is number one uh, on this show of uh, the road to 173 and oh, I gave that one a nine. So um, hopefully these, these ratings get a little bit more refined over time, but Hey, uh, we got plenty of time to do that, but I want to thank all of you guys for checking out this free episode of the road to 173. Now, if you enjoyed this show, uh, feel free to head over to the Patreon uh, page. Uh, patreon dot patreon.com slash one nation radio give me a little taste uh, on the second tier the five dollar tier and this will always get you the goldberg shows like i said it's going to be a journey going through this i'm looking forward to it very excited about seeing you know uh, what it's like when goldberg goes to the flock um, which was I have fond memories of uh, when he has to wrestle DDP eventually when he, you know, takes down the NWO and, you know, ultimately, you know, some of the more high profile matches that aren't really as talked about, like he wrestled Flair at one point, I believe he wrestled Sting um, on a, a different Nitro show. So I'm um, interested to see which ones pop up on this uh, show and all that. But thank you guys for listening. This is Rich. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Of course, you will still be hearing one nation radio with me and james every single week uh, absolutely free of charge uh keeping it strong side with 
Jeremy and Josh Wolford watches all things elite. Our new show here, uh, the Omega Luke Wrestling Podcast. Grown men watches shit. The Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast and the Outsiders Edge. So give all those guys a listen. Uh, help out the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We also need your ratings and reviews in the iTunes Store or wherever you download your podcast. Um, if you're catching this over on the Patreon feed on uh, episode two, make sure you uh, hit me with a comment there. Let me know what you guys think of uh, everything that we're doing here. But that's going to wrap it up. This is the road to 173 and 0. Peace.